start in the book of Genesis. We're going to go till the time expires tonight, and I'm not sure that I'm going to get through all of the material this evening. I do not want to make this a series, and I'll I'll tell you why after we get going. But this is just an interesting... People ask me the question, how do you study your Bible? And this is one of those interesting things that when I go through, when I'm reading God's Word, when I'm listening to preaching, when I am... Uh, in the car driving down the road. This is just one of those things I try to watch out for. And when I see this in the Word of God, I try to pay attention to it. It's the if-then principle. And the if-then principle. And so I'm going to share with you one of the more interesting Bible studies that I have done over a lifetime and say, well, well preacher, why, why aren't you going... <laughs> Why aren't you going to do a series on it? Well, because there are 673 of them in Scripture, that's why. And so we would be like doing that until the Lord came back. And not only that, there are, in addition to those 673, there are a whole bunch more where the if is there and the then is implied. That doesn't even count those. Uh, what are we talking about? Uh, so let's do the principle of first mention. Let me show you uh, what I'm talking about, and then we'll go to some of the more popular ones that you have seen. And now that you, and then once you know that this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times throughout God's Word, I'm hoping that you'll have your your radar going. And when you see them, you'll pay attention to them. The if-then principle. Let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, the text uh, this evening. Father, I pray uh, that you would help me to be a blessing to your people. Uh, This uh, uh, principle of uh, Bible study, of Bible truth, has been a help uh, to me, and I certainly desire uh, to be a help to those who have gathered here this evening. So, so many of them we will not even begin to scratch the surface of what is found in your word. But I pray that as uh, the Sunday school teachers prepare their lessons and as the uh, the preachers for Saturday morning uh, prepare their messages to stand before uh, your people here uh, as moms and dads uh, open their Bibles at home and as we go through Bible reading schedules throughout the year, that we would pay attention and look for these and start to mark them up and start to understand this this principle uh, that is so powerful, evident throughout your word. May we not miss it. Help us pay attention and learn, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Uh, The first of this is in Genesis chapter 13. Now this is kind of interesting. And I so the principle of first mention, when you are looking at something in God's word, go to the place where it's first mentioned. Now as I started uh, this evening, I started with uh, four points. 
And then my four points, I pushed them to a second point and they became four subpoints. And then I pushed them to a third point and they became sub subpoints. And, uh, and I thought, you know, we really should start out at the beginning. And this is very simplistic, but this is like God's word. And this is going to hold through all of scripture. So the if-then principles first found in Genesis chapter 13, uh, verse one. Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him, and Lot with him into the south. Abraham and Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. He went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord, and Lot also went which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let me let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren." Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, then I will go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And so there is the first time in Scripture, did you even see it? If you do this, then I'm, and that's as, that's as complex as it gets. I say that. Because we're going to get to some powerful passages of Scripture. It is not difficult to understand. The concepts are not difficult to understand. The Bible truths are not difficult to understand. We just don't want to do it. And that becomes a problem. So, again, what is the if-then principle? Abraham is standing here to Lot, and he said, If you go this way, then I'm going to go that way. And if you go that way, then I'm going to go this way. That is going to impact this. The two go together. They can't be separated. That's the principle. I say, well, that was easy. Oh, sure. Okay. All right. Go, go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, not much more uh, complex, except there's a whole lot more state. Genesis chapter 18, we know what Genesis chapter 18 is. It's Sodom and Gomorrah. Lots in the land. Uh, God, uh, God says to Abraham, go, go, uh, go, get, go get Lot. I'm going to destroy the city. God sends the angels in to get, to get Lot and get them out. And uh, Abraham is going to go uh, to the Lord. And he's going to ask uh, for God to intervene. Let's go to verse 23. Abraham. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Wow, wow, wow. Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee. Can you imagine talking to God? Abraham had a special relationship with him. And uh, he... This bold, that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee 
Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow. And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare. Don't miss this. God's saying, If you can find this fifty, then I will do this. And we know, Abram said, well, how about 40? And God said, if you can find, if you can find 40, then I will not destroy. What about 30? What about 20? All the way down to 10. And Abraham's counting. Now he got a lot, and he got his wife, and he got his two daughters. Well, we know, uh, they, the, the Moabites came from, from the two daughters. That wasn't going to work out well. Uh, would you call them righteous? Uh, having a relationship with their father? Getting them drunk? I would not call them righteous. Uh, so, uh, Lot's wife, I guess you could say, maybe she was righteous. Lot? Well, God calls him righteous. Two? Maybe one was all you were going to find in that whole city. Now, God knew that. That wasn't taking God by surprise. But God says to, to, to Abraham, if, then. If. Then, you see it? Okay. Uh, this, that was a pretty easy one, too. Let's go to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 is, uh, is another uh, really good one. Uh, Abraham, again, this is an easy one. Abraham uh, is sending, uh, needs a bride for Isaac, and he's going to send his servant out to get a bride. And so the servant says, hey, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go to this country, and I'm going to say to this girl, hey, you know, we got this guy back there, he needs a wife, and uh, would you do it? And, uh, and, and if I find a girl that I think is the right one, what if she doesn't come back? I mean, she never seen this guy. He could have like two noses or four ears or, I mean, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, be, be, how come, how come this guy can't find a wife? You know, a kind of, a, kind of a question. And so he, the, the servant says, what if I find her, but she's not willing uh, to go back? And that's the context of this particular narrative. Now, let's start at verse 7 with the paragraph. And the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the, willing, the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then... Thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. So Abraham looks at the servant and says, If she's not willing to go, then I will not hold you responsible for the outcome. Do you see it? So we have, we have three instances so far. We've got uh, if, uh, if 50, then I won't destroy. If she won't go, then I won't hold you responsible. So you, you see how this is playing out? Again, these instances in Genesis are very simple to understand. If, then. Right? Say from preacher, this, this, this can't be all that. I mean, powerful. I mean, really? It's a conditional action. With an ending result. Again, there are hundreds and hundreds of times throughout Scripture. <clears throat> I say this while these are very simple. Throughout God's Word, God gives us promises. 
And many of those promises are conditional. So I want to alert you this evening, as you're going through God's Word, and you see a promise, many times, this this is a huge problem in Christianity today. It's a huge problem in our Bible study today. It's a big issue. People come to me and they say, Pastor, I'm claiming this promise. What they are doing is, they are claiming the them. But they are ignoring the fact that there is an if attached to it. If, then. You can't claim the then without satisfying the if. I say, preacher, that doesn't make any sense to me. Let, let's go to something you're familiar with and show it to you and show you how powerful and condemning this can be. Let's go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Everybody's familiar with that. <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 7. The whole chapter is, an, is, is a really powerful chapter. But the 14th verse is a verse that you know. Are you looking at it? Are you reading it? Can you see it? If my people... Do you see it? If my people which are called by my name, Christians, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You've got four conditions that have to be satisfied under the if before God is going to Forgive their sin and heal their land. So here we are. This is going on right now across America. This is really a powerful movement in Virginia going on right now. Churches are getting together and they're praying for God to bless America. But they're not taking care of the four conditions. You can pray to your blue in the face for God to bless America. But if America is not going to humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, there is no hope for America. You say, wow, that's pretty pointed. It is. And that's one of those, that's just one of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conditional promises that are found in God's Word. And again, we like to focus on the good things that God is going to do, but we don't focus on the conditions that God sets forth. Listen, if she doesn't go with you, I won't hold you responsible. Well, that's easy. If you go to the left hand, then I'll go to the right hand. Well, that's pretty easy. But this gets a little bit more complex, does it not? I mean, it's just... As simple, but the repercussions are astounding if 
if. What happens if we fail on, on four of them, or three of them, or two of them, or one of them? Then God will not. He will not. We pray, and we can and should. And we expect great things from God, and we can and should. But only if the conditions are met. Have you met the conditions for the promise that you're claiming? Here's another one that is often taken out of context. Turn with me to the New Testament. Go to Philippians chapter 4. I have referred to this before. Uh, so, again, this is not... Uh, this is not an, Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 is very familiar to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, in my experience in Christianity, is the most claimed promise by Christians in Scripture. I go to somebody's home. They're not in church. They're not doing right. They're not living right. They're not being obedient to God. They're not following God. They're kind of giving God token acknowledgement. They claim Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. But I know, hey preacher, I know. My God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, this is one of those where the if is not there. But it is, if you look for it. They pull it out of context. God's going to supply all my need. And I have to look at them and say, you have taken that verse out of context. God is not going to supply your need. That is not what this text is saying. Look back with me. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing, uh, and he says, Now, ye Philippians know also in the beginning of the gospel, verse 15, when I departed uh, from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but thee only. So Paul's talking to them, and he's saying, Listen, uh, you gave. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once. And again, unto my necessity. So he's saying to the Philippians, hey, you gave. And, and then you gave again and again and again. Not, not because, verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus. No, no, sis. Having, they sent a man. Epaphroditus, having received Epaphroditus, the things which were sent from you. They said, hey, uh, Brother Oldenburg, we got missionaries that need a well, and uh, we're going to get money together, and we're going to send you with the money on, uh, what was the horse's name? Buckshot. We're going to send you on Buckshot uh, to Central America to deliver the money. Right? And that's the same. So we, we picked out a man in the church and we trusted with these funds and uh, these resources and we're sending them to you. So, again, don't miss this. Paul's saying, listen, you, you've given to me when nobody else did. You, you 
responded to my need over and over and over again. You sent someone to deliver those things to me. A sacrifice. Acceptable. Well-pleasing to God. As a result, then my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't pull that out of context and think, well, you know what? God's just going to supply all Yo, preacher, I don't believe God's going to supply all my need. You are, you are wicked. You're living in sin. You're not doing what is right. You're not, you, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my vain. You're not doing any of that stuff. But all of a sudden we think we're going to claim that God's going to supply our needs. It, 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 it is not going to happen. It's not. Is that right where we live? That's exactly where we live. One of those hidden if-then gems that is taken out of context. So, uh, before you get mad at God and call the preacher up, or the deacons up, or your Sunday school teacher up, or, or, or corner your mom and dad uh, that just say, you know, I just, I believe God. And, and say, well, God, God didn't help me. God not, never done, done anything for me. I had this need and I prayed and God said he'd supply all my need and it didn't do it. Well, have you supplied other people's needs? Oh, no. When, when's the last time you did something for somebody else? Well, never. <laughs> you, you can't claim that. You can't take that. And I'm applying to you. God's not going to do that for you. It's not biblical. But we have a tendency to pull the thens out. We want the good stuff. But we don't want to humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, turn from our wicked ways. And before God's going to do that, before He's going to give that, then I will forget this and heal their land. Before that's going to happen, we've got to do that. So don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at the preacher. Don't get mad at the deacons. Look at God's Word and say, well, you know, God, God didn't supply that need. I, I wonder why. Go back in Scripture and look to see what the conditions are. And you're, you're going to find, listen, you're going to find every single time that the problem is not with God. The problem is not with God's faithfulness. The problem is that we have not met the if, the conditions to claim the promise that is in God's Word. Why? Because all the promises of God are yea and amen. God said it, and that settles it. God's promises are absolutely true. You can count on them. So if the, if the problem is not God and God promises, then what is the problem? The problem is that big if. It requires action on our part. <clears throat> Turn with me to John chapter 3. Let's go to John, Gospel of John chapter 3. Sorry, 13. Let's go to John chapter 13. Gospel of John. Chapter 13. So, the, the next couple here that I'm going to share with you are not... Quite as, I'll just say, alarming. 
So, so the Second Chronicles one, I mean, you start reading that and say, man, our country's in trouble. Our country needs God, and we can pray, pray for that. But if we haven't done these things, God's not going to heal that. And that's like, wow, whoa, man. But uh, there are some other things that are not associated with promises. Okay? Again, this is a this is a huge this is a huge topic in God's Word. It covers a broad spectrum of things: the if and then. Sometimes it's associated with promises. Sometimes it just flat out says, "Are you a Christian, Bob? Are you a Christian? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Seriously? Yeah, right. You name the name of Christ. You've been born again." You're a child of the king. Okay, he says he is. Uh, look at chapter John chapter 13. Let's look at verse 13. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet. Then, then it's not there. But it is definitely implied there. Ye ye also ought to wash one another's feet. What is that? That's just service. You're a Christian, and you name the name of Christ. If, If God is your Lord and Master, then you ought to be serving others. You just ought to be. They're they're not... Say, what kind of promise is there? Well, we, we say we're a Christian. When, when is the last time you served others? What are you doing to serve others? We, we desire to be served. That's not Christianity. Christianity is serving. Who set the example? The Lord Jesus Christ did. And he very clearly says, you say, verse 13, you call me master, you call me Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an, ex- an example that ye should do as I have done. Are you serving others? You can't say, I'm a good Christian, if you're not serving others. You can't I guess you can say that. It's just not true. What are you doing to serve others? What are you doing to help others? And there are lots of needs out there. Uh, We could bow our heads and close our eyes and just say, how many of you have a need that you can't solve yourself? And I'll guarantee you that there'd be a dozen hands go up in the room here tonight. And sometimes it's, uh, uh, material, and sometimes it's uh, uh, child care, and sometimes it's a prayer request, and sometimes it's uh, gas in the car, or maybe if you walk around looking for needs, you'll, you'll find them. You'll, you'll find them. They're, they're all over the place. Do you love God? Then serve one another. Serve others. Do something for someone else. Many um, call. Uh, this is, is just kind of interesting. When somebody passes away, uh, recently, uh, Mr. Gwaine passed away. And 
people loved Lovegoyne. Uh, he was just one of those crazy characters that, I mean, you just, yeah, just had to love him. Uh, you, you just did. And he was, he was an odd duck. He, he just was. He, he just, and no, nobody would debate that. They'd say, yep, yeah, that's Glenn. Yeah, he was an odd duck. And so people called. And the phone was ringing off the hook. Uh, Pastor? Glenn passed away. Yes, he did. I, I want to do something. What can I do? <laughs> Glenn wanted people to be faithful to God. Be faithful. Come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and pray with one another. And that's, that would really be a great tribute to Gwen. Hello? Are you, are you there? Hello? Hello? Yes, Pastor, I'm here. Did you hear me? Yeah. Is there anything else I can do? We just don't want to do it. And we wonder why God's not blessing us. And God says, listen, if you love me, if I'm your Lord and Master, you should be serving others. Are you serving others? They are called Johnny-come-latelys. They lack the basic, faithful obedience of stewards. Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Are you faithful? Look at John chapter 15. We're running out of time here. John chapter 15 is really interesting. Lots and it's, I'll just say, we could spend all night just on this chapter. But we're just going to look at I'm the true vine. Let's look, look at several. I've highlighted several things. Uh, verse 3, you're clean through the word. Verse 4, abide in me. You cannot bear fruit of itself. Abide in the vine. Abide in me. Verse 5, who abideth in me? For verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth. Verse 7, if you abide in me, if my words abide in you, it shall be done unto you. Uh, verse 9, continuing me in my love. Abide in my love. Verse 10, abide in my love. Uh, ye, notice this, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Verse 17, what has he commanded you? Uh, that ye love one another. If you love him, keep his commandments and abide in his love. If you say, if you love God, then you will abide in him. If you're not abiding, you're not loving, no matter how much you say, oh, I love you. But you're not abiding. You come to church, you don't get in his word, you don't pray. You're not abiding, you're not loving. There's an if and a then. You can't be both. You can't claim both. The last one we'll look at tonight, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we have looked at this one before. You're familiar with this one. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, verse 1, that's a big one. If ye then be risen with Christ. The then is not there, but it's certainly implied. 
Seek those things which are above. Are you saved? Then you should be heavenly minded. Again, these are all through Scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 25. If hope, then they will then wait in patience. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. If by, if by grace, then no more of works. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Again, all the way through God's Word. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these just waiting to be discovered. But don't claim a promise unless you're going to fulfill the requirements. Because a promise is preceded by requirements. And don't claim to love God if you don't abide. Because you don't. Father, I thank you for your word. Ah, just a really convicting Bible study as I go through. I find more and more and more and more of these to discover them in just my casual reading. And then diligent Bible study. I am just amazed at the many, many truths that Christians claim without fulfilling or satisfying the if. Father, help us to be true Christians, to abide in you, to keep your commandments. I were risen with you, but not seeking those things which are above. It just just doesn't seem to make sense. Thank you for the simple Bible truth and just convicting to its core. May we do something with it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.